The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to our 250th episode of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. Dental hygiene services delivered by dental hygienists maintain the health of our mouths with procedures such as these, removing plaque from the teeth. Now, plaque is a sticky mix of bacteria and the material the bacteria produce. Uh, Dental hygienists use procedures such as attending to bleeding gums, inspecting the healthiness of the inner linings of the mouth, including the cheeks, tongue, lips and throat, and examining the lymph glands of the neck. An unhealthy mouth has many effects, such as getting in the way of good nutrition, even leading to malnutrition, causing painful mouth ulcers. Now, most of us are able to say, my mouth hurts, maybe point to the part that does hurt. But people suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's disease may, first of all, not be able to speak. They may not be able to be to point to the part that's hurting. And in their frustration, they become angry or even aggressive. So painful mouth ulcers represent a major challenge in certain types of long-term care. Um, An unhealthy mouth may result in dryness of the mouth, arising because of the side effects of medications and other medical treatments. Um, Effects of an unhealthy mouth include signaling disease in other parts of the body requiring medical or specialist dental advice, causing infections in other parts of the body. Now, people living in long-term care facilities are living there because they have persistent physical or mental illnesses or disabilities, which likely interfere with their mobility. So it's important that dental hygiene care is brought to them, which is why our topic today, dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities, is so important. Now, to discuss it, our guest is Brad Sinclair. Brad serves as registrar for the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario. He's worked in the healthcare sector for more than 27 years. And prior to the college, he built 
Health Force Ontario Marketing and Recruitment Agency for the government. His career highlights include Chief of Staff for the Minister of Health and Long-Term Care, Executive Director of IMG Ontario, Director of the Ontario Council of Teaching Hospitals, and Director of Health Sciences for the Council of Ontario Universities. He has a bachelor's degree in English Literature and a graduate certificate from the Rotman School of Management, both of these from the University of Toronto. And in his spare time, he's a creative writer and a musician. And he's married with two children and lives in Toronto. So welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you very much, Dr. Adley. Now, my first question for you is really to give us more about your background career and any indication of family experience with long-term care. Brad? Sure. Thanks very much. But first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to participate in uh, Family Caregivers United. You know, it's a unique opportunity for me. Um, my career in healthcare has been largely devoted to health policy issues at the system level, what I call the system level. I've been fortunate enough to observe healthcare from a wide variety of perspectives, including um, in the political office for healthcare, uh, from the junior and senior level of, of bureaucracy within the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, that's a, like a worker bee, if you will, uh, from the level of an advocacy association in the Ontario Hospital Association, uh, from the perspective of the academic sector as it relates to health sciences, and now most recently from the health professional regulatory sector. And while I'm hardly an expert in any of these fields, I have definitely seen a lot of trends come and go in healthcare, and I've watched various healthcare organizations interact, some with success and others with less success. Uh, presumably all of that observation is worthy of some uh, recognition. My direct personal experience in long-term care has been somewhat limited to family and friends, but one thing I've noted very clearly is the huge culture shift in the long-term care sector. When I was a young man, long-term care facilities were largely seen as places that old sick people went to wait until they died. I know that sounds crass, but that's the impression I had as a young man. Um, and it was certainly the impression I had of my grandparents' experience in long-term care. Now, I've been around long enough to remember when the Ministry of Health became the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care. And to some folks, that might seem like a minor change, but I can assure you that it was quite a big deal at the time inside the government. Some folks think it, think it was one of uh, Deputy Minister Jeff Lozon's greatest legacies. In any case, that change in the name of the ministry also signaled a major shift in the attitude of everyone in the healthcare system regarding our care for the elderly, a change that was long overdue, and thank goodness it's not just a passing trend. Now, I want you, you're a registrar of the College of Dental Hygienists. Please tell us about your work as the registrar and actually what registrar means in the context of the sure. college. Brad? Okay, well, the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario is what we call in Ontario a health professional regulatory college. It's not an educational institution. It derives its authority from two pieces of legislation. One is the Regulated Health Professions, Health Professionals Act, or the RHPA, and you'll hear me reference that uh, several times later on, and also the Dental Hygiene Act. Now, the RHPA is the governing legislation for well, uh, in Ontario, we have 26 regulated health professionals. I'm not going to list them all, but if you do a Google search for RHPA, you can read all about it, as they say. It's pretty mainstream legislation in Ontario, but it's quite unique within the regulatory community internationally. So if you're interested, I think you will not be disappointed by the results of that Google search. 
But the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario is somewhat unique in another way within the regulatory college. It's one of four regulated oral health professions. Now, I will list those for you. It's dentistry, dental hygiene, denture therapy, and dental technology. And once upon a time, dental hygiene was regulated under the Royal College of Dental Surgeons of Ontario. But that changed in 1994 when the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario was established, along with the introduction of the RHPA. Now, you've probably already determined, Gordon, uh, that I'm not a dental hygienist, but fortunately, the college has four professional members on staff, and the deputy registrar is indeed a dental hygienist. So I have more than enough support on that front. And the college's role under the RHPA is best characterized as what I call safeguarding the public interest. And there's effectively two ways for the college to protect uh, the public interest. And the first way is, is pretty straightforward. We monitor the professional behavior and activity of individual registrants as they deliver care. And we do this to ensure that they're meeting the standards of, for the dental hygiene profession and to make sure that they're not hurting people. You know, that we have to protect the public interest. The second way of protecting the public interest is a little less obvious. We're expected to work with the Minister of Health and Long-Term Care to ensure that the people of Ontario have appropriate access to dental hygienists. Now, this latter responsibility is a bit peculiar, as I've already noted, since we have a regulatory obligation, not an educational obligation. Just the same, it's an obligation that we take pretty seriously, and it consumes uh, both of those things, the, 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 the individual monitoring and the, the public interest issue. They consume uh, most of my work as the registrar. Now, let's uh, go into a, a particular aspect of what the college has been involved in and also which applies to dental hygienists. And what I'm talking about here is what's called technically self-initiation, self-initiation by dental hygienists. What is this and what does it mean for dental hygiene care in long-term care facilities? Okay, it's a good question. It, self-initiation is the term that helps describe what I call the relative independence of dental hygienists. So Ontario's dental hygienists first started as a class, of, a class of health professionals that worked under the order of a dentist. It was, it's like an extender of the dentist's uh, uh, scope of practice. It's similar in principle to the way that physicians and nurses would have interacted many years ago. Now, as you know, physicians and nurses are, are independently. They, they work together, don't get me wrong, but, but they're independent professionals. In any case, with a clearly described scope of practice, it was agreed that dental hygienists were also independent health professionals who could practice independently without receiving an order from the dentist to say, go ahead and deliver the care. In other words, they could self-initiate the delivery of dental hygiene services w without receiving that go-ahead, as I mentioned, from, the, from a dentist. Now, this is a practice that's been negotiated along the way and is nearing the final stages of transition. Uh, but keep in mind that, that self-initiation for dental hygienists is only intended to cover the scope of practice of a dental hygienist. In other words, they wouldn't be authorized to self-initiate care that falls outside their scope of practice, something that was in the dental scope of practice but not in the dental hygiene. They're not allowed to do that. They're only allowed to self-initiate care that's within their scope of practice. So we, even with that caveat, it's still a great big step forward for the people of Ontario in terms of improving access to care. And it's particularly helpful if you think about geographic areas or sectors of the healthcare system that are underserved in the area of oral health services. 
So geographic areas in Ontario are, are well-known, the underserviced ones, you know, the remote communities, the, the rural, the northern Ontario communities in particular, those sorts of places. An underserviced sector for oral health, I'm led to understand, however, is also long-term care. Now, dentists are very busy running their practices in the community, and I understand it's not very common to find them working directly in a long-term care facility. So enter the dental hygienist who's authorized to self-initiate dental hygiene services, and I think you'd agree that it's a step in the right direction. Now, I don't know if there would even be a large enough patient base to keep a dentist working full-time in a long-term care facility, but a dental hygienist is a little bit more mobile because they don't have all of the, the, uh, the, the um, uh, te- uh, technology and, and the resources that a dentist would require. Um, and they usually have a smaller client roster than a dentist would have. So we believe that facilitating self-initiation for dental hygienists is a good thing in general, but it's a particularly good thing uh, for the long-term care sector. So just to summarize back to you, that means that a dental hygienist can go to a long-term care facility uh, in formal terms, kind of examine the mouth of a resident there and then get on with the job improving or uh, inspecting the state of that individual's mouth and uh, can then use whatever procedures um, are regulated or provided for in the work of dental hygienists. Is that roughly true, what I just said? Yeah, that's about right. As I said, they 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 are definitely not replacing a dentist. I want to be really clear about that. But they do provide um, oral health services within the scope of dental hygiene. So so exactly what you said is, is pretty much right on. So long as they're providing services that are within their scope of practice and they are authorized to self-initiate, then, uh, then that's completely uh, legitimate. Right. Now, we've come to the time where we have to take the break. This is where we have to pay our rent. So this is <laughs> Dr. Gordon Etherly. My guest is Brad Sinclair. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're looking for answers and solutions, you don't have to look to expensive treatments, consultations, and methods. All you have to do is listen to your connections. Every week, the Dr. Melanie Show will teach you how to do just that. Dr. Melanie Barton will share her gifts and talents and teach you to do the same. And in doing so, find the solutions to the issues in your life that you truly need. 
You'll learn about holistic and practical health in six key areas. Discover the Dr. Melanie Show, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Brad Sinclair. Our topic is dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. So now let's talk about the challenges in providing dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. So Brad, what is the case, first of all, for improving dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities? And what are the challenges that have to be overcome if dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities care facilities are actually to be improved. Brad? Yeah, thank you. It's a good question. Again, you're, you're getting good at this. I'm going to answer the question from two different angles, if that's all right. The first angle is, um, is a personal one, and I already mentioned the experience of my grandparents uh, many years ago. Uh, in both cases, nine and one of them had their own teeth by the time they went into a long-term care facility, and that was pretty common. I would say most of their colleagues were in the same, uh, the same state. They'd lost their teeth long before they arrived. So the services they might have required many years ago would have been from a denture therapist uh, or something like that, but not a dentist or a dental hygienist. Times, however, have changed pretty significantly since then. Touch wood, I still have all of my teeth. My wife has all of her teeth. My, my children have good, strong teeth. And the quality of oral health care has gone up markedly over the past few decades, and the results are quite striking. So old folks nowadays are much likely to have their own teeth when they go into long-term care. Fingers crossed, I hope I'll still have all of my teeth when I leave long-term care services. There is, therefore, a need for oral health services in the long-term care sector that's relatively new in the grand scheme of healthcare system evolution, if you will. So the other angle for answering this question, however, is, is the regulatory one. And as I already mentioned, the college has an obligation to work with the minister to ensure that the people of Ontario have appropriate access to dental hygiene services. Now, in my mind, the people of Ontario represent a, a broad array of groups and communities and sub-communities and things like that, and it most definitely includes uh, the people who live in the long-term care se- uh, facilities in the sector there. And the citizens of Ontario who are living in long-term care facilities have every right to demand access to oral health services. In other words, it's not an option or a frill or a fringe benefit or something like that. As the baby boomers get older, and I'm right behind them, they will no doubt begin making demands for those services, and that is going to represent the gov- to the government of the day, and it's going to present them with a very interesting uh, public policy challenge. Now, I'm sure oral health professionals can speak to this more knowledgeably than I can, but the vast majority of oral health services in Ontario are delivered through private means. They're not funded out of the public sector. And, of course, there are some publicly funded oral health initiatives, and I understand that they are very good ones. But as I say, the vast majority of care is in the private sector. In some ways, Gordon, I think that's a convenient excuse for not applying public scrutiny to the sector. 
That, however, does not exonerate the regulatory college from its legislated obligation. And, of course, the bigger problem in all of this is that the college is only one player among many who need to be part of the, of, of the final discussion. Now, just to follow on from that, within the healthcare and social services, and I'm talking about the systems as a whole, what are the greatest of the challenges to enhancing dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities? Brad? Um, I think it's really important to frame your question as a, as a public policy issue. As I've already noted, it's fairly common to ignore or to be less concerned about health issues that are not funded out of the public sector. That doesn't mean, by the way, that public officials don't care about oral health issues. It's most definitely not the case. The, the volume and intensity of issues that public officials face, however, is huge. And I speak from some personal experience on this matter. It's a regular state of affairs that some issues get crowded out by other concerns that appear more pressing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I have tremendous sympathy for the public officials who wrestle with these issues. Remember, with my background, I was one of those officials once upon a time, and I have the scars to show for it. It's not an easy or a simple piece of business. In any case, when I look at something like oral health service delivery, I like to, fly, to apply what I've called uh, the four Ds of public policy to the issues. And the four Ds, just briefly, are discovery, discussion, decision, and delivery. And I'll go through each of these briefly. So the first one, discovery. The plight of the long-term care resident with respect to oral health has not really been discovered yet by the public policy world. doesn't mean that the issue isn't there, just that it hasn't, hasn't really become part of the public policy vernacular. And that's the first step. The regulatory college can be a part of that uh, discovery process, but certainly we couldn't do it alone. You know, government, the labor sector, the institutional sector, the academic sector, just to name a few, all need to be engaged if we want to make you know, a difference in terms of the discovery side. So the second, D, Gordon, is, is discussion. Similar to discovery, the public policy world has not really engaged in much discussion on this front, not surprisingly, since they haven't really discovered it yet. I'm unaware of a forum where such discussion might transpire. And I'm not talking about political lobbying. I'm talking about a public forum where the various organizations and individuals can wade into these uncharted waters and begin to document the perspectives and the issues around oral health in the long-term care sector. We haven't got there yet in terms of the discussion. The third D I mentioned is decision. What will we do about the plight of long-term care residents with respect to oral health? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you that we won't get to that point unless we engage in the first two Ds, discovery and discussion. The fourth one is delivery. Sorry, delivery. We are unfortunately some distance away from actually delivering a solution for this problem and these challenges, but I believe it's time to start the process. I'm a really big believer that there isn't a single public policy issue that can't be resolved if we get the right people talking to each other and working together. And I want to reiterate that this is not just simply the government's problem. People often blame government for a lot of things that ail us, but I can assure you that politicians would love very much to see a resolution for all of these issues, just as much as anyone else would. The biggest challenge for me is one of marshalling or organizing the various players so that they can, A, discover the issue, B, discuss the issue comprehensively, C, make a decision that is supported by the discussion, and D, deliver that solution effectively. Now, let's go into another set of challenges, or perhaps I'm being too strong when I use the word challenge, but nevertheless, let's stay with it. Um, you've talked about the 
oral health care professions uh, that are registered or licensed. Um, what are the greatest of the challenges to enhancing dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities within what I call the oral health care services and professions? Brad? Yeah, that's a no pun intended. That's a mouthful of a question. <laughs> I, I'm going to build on the previous answer because they are related. And, and I'll come back to the four Ds that I've already described earlier. I think they apply just as much to the oral health world as they do to the entire public policy world. And the whole notion of private and public sector service and, and you know, the, the dividing line between them makes it very complex. And, of course, there's one more wrinkle of complexity in all of this, and it's the notion that long-term care itself as a sector is a mix of private and public sector service delivery. So it's a very complicated issue, and various groups have different roles to play. So we have public and private service delivery in a public and private sector. And somehow we, the royal we, of course, have to find a way for all the parties to engage in a spirit of, of client or patient-centeredness. So what's the best form for engagement? I don't know yet. Maybe I'm, I hope I can learn, but I don't know yet. Who leads the engagement? Um, I'm not sure I know that either. Who needs to be part of the discussion? I might be able to help there. The service providers would need to come together. Uh, the service sector would need to come together with the service providers. And presumably all this would happen in their spare time. And this is part of the challenge as well. None of these folks are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They're all very, very busy people doing very important work. And asking them to come together and, you know, effectively make the world a better place is not a very realistic request. By the way, there's a large group of other folks who might have a stake in the issues, you know, the educational sector, the insurance industry, the regulatory sector, just to name a few more. It's complexity at a very, very high level. It's the order of the challenge. Notwithstanding that somewhat dis depressing description. This is exactly the stuff that demands effective relationship management. And I don't think there's a single individual in health, oral health care who doesn't want to see everyone in the province receiving appropriate care. Of course they want that. And many of them have dedicated their professional lives to this cause. How do we get to that resolution? Uh, that part, I don't know. Dr. Adley, I'm starting to think maybe you should have interviewed somebody who has more answers and fewer questions, but <laughs> to go back to your question, you know, what's the biggest challenge? Through all of my ramblings, I hope it will be clear that I think the biggest challenge is one of relationship management and how one finds the time and the wherewithal to manage a relationship with all of the very necessary competing challenges that, that people face on a daily basis. Now, one of the challenges that always arises, at least in discussions about healthcare, is, of course, money, financing, and the rest of it. Now, two very quick questions. One is that I'm right, am I, in, in saying that because dental hygienists can carry on treatment uh, within their specifications of care um, without getting the, an order from a dentist, I, I'm and I don't mean anything negative about this, but I do mean that that saves money because it means that the care can begin without any preliminary consultation. So uh, that's question A. And question B is this question of cost. How important do you think that really is in the decision-making that we want, you want to see and I think everybody else would like to see uh, regarding the provision of dental hygiene services in long-term care facilities and maybe outside? Brad? Yeah, you ask good questions, my goodness. <laughs> Um, in terms of the cost, that's the, what you've talked about is, is always the theory that 
presumably someone who is, has less training than their superior. So in this case, a dental hygienist has less training than a dentist. Presumably they could deliver lower-level services at a, a more economic rate. That's always the theory about how these things will work. Um, it's difficult to say, though, how it would actually play out because we haven't really tested this kind of thing very often. It stands to reason. It seems to make sense on paper. But these things are always more complicated than we think they are once we try to implement them. So as I say, Gordon, I think your, your, your first question, it seems intuitively obvious, but I wouldn't say at this point absolutely certain it would save money because we haven't really tested that kind of thing out. Um, the second question, what was that again? That that basically, the whole question now of who pays, that's not quite how I phrased it, but let's go into that. Who should pay? Um, well, I guess our, our position at the college is that we're here to ensure access to care. Um, and the whole issue of who pays is one that would probably need to be negotiated between um, the service providers and the service provision funders. And so who are those groups that, that fund the services? In, in the private sector, it's obviously the insurance uh, uh, industry. In the public sector, it would tend to be the government. And th those notions about who pays are best negotiated between those two, uh, two sets of, uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, organizations. But it, it's, again, it's never as I, – I'd be hesitant to say, oh, this group should pay or that group should pay. I guess what I would prefer to, to, to see is a group uh, gathered around the interests of the patient or the client and then asking the questions, how do we best deliver this care? And then the question of who pays for it sort of is, is driven from that perspective as opposed to saying, oh, hey, okay, who's going to pay for this? And you're not even sure what you're talking about. So I'd rather focus at the outset on what services are being provided, who's providing them, what's the best way to deliver them to the, to the client or the, to the patient who's waiting to receive those services, and then deal with the, uh, the economic factor after the fact. That's, fair. That's a very fair answer. What lay behind my question, there isn't time to answer it now, is simply that some people have uh, retirement or, or long-term care health benefits, which include dental services. Some of us have them, some of us don't. And that's obviously a factor in the costing, um, because if there's an insurance policy that pays for these services, then presumably it's going to be easier for individuals to get them, pay for them. And also, it's less of a worry from the point of view of stress public funds. But that's a comment more than a question, yeah. Brown, well, because... Your comment is a good one, though, because if, if you go back to my early remarks, a lot of folks going to long-term care now have their teeth where they didn't have their teeth 35, 40 years ago. And so, as I said, it's a relatively new demand for a service. You know, as I said, my grandmother, grandfather didn't have teeth when they were in long-term care. So uh, for them, you know, dental hygiene, it was a different kind of oral health service that was required. Um, you have your teeth. I, I've met you, and I know that. I have my teeth, you know. And when we need long-term care, I hope I still have them. But, but we're going to need oral health services that, you know, my grandparents didn't need. And, and how are we going to deal with that? That's the really pressing public policy issue in my mind. Very good. Now, once again, it's time to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Brad Sinclair. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Brad Sinclair. Our topic is dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. So now let's talk about ways to overcome the challenges in providing dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. So Brad, first of all, please tell us about the work of the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario and similar organizations in overcoming the challenges to improving dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. Or putting it more sharply, what are you guys doing about overcoming these challenges? Brad. Well, thank you, Gordon. Um, I guess I should say it right again very clearly that the college is only part of the the solution. Of course, we want to do our part to improve the situation, but the best solution, as I've already hinted, we'll see many partners united in a common cause, and I've already mentioned some of those partners. But one of the things that we've done at the CDHO is to encourage a sense of professional independence in our registrants. And we've already talked a little bit about self-initiation, but uh, again, prior to 2007, we weren't permitted to initiate care without an order from a dentist, and, and our registrants, uh, we've talked about this already, but we, we believe that it was unnecessary. We also believe that it was not enhancing access to care. And this was particularly evident in geographic areas and healthcare sectors that were, the term they use is underserviced. So our impression is that long-term care sector is generally underserviced in comparison with the general public when it comes to oral health services. And I can only surmise that a long-term care facility in an underserved geographic area faces an additional challenge. In any case, since 2007, we've developed processes that authorize a dental hygienist to self-initiate care without the order of a dentist. So that's, that's one thing we've done. Um, and we've made that process uh, even easier just mo- most recently. The dental hygiene graduates that are coming out of the educational programs today are all using a curriculum that makes self-initiating an even more obvious option. 
and to help facilitate that authorization to self-initiate, the new graduates may apply for that authorization once they've completed a six-month mentorship with a college-approved mentor. And this is turning out to be very, a very popular and very successful initiative. Uh, the college certainly hopes that the benefits will be felt across the healthcare system, including, of course, the long-term care sector. Now, we also sponsor, sponsor a number of uh, public education campaigns that are intended to educate people on what they can expect from a registered dental hygienist. When you go into a, see a registered dental hygienist, what can you expect to get out of them? And if you live Ontario, in Ontario, you may have heard some of the public service announcements on the radio. Obviously, the residents of long-term care facilities were considered as part of the target, target audience for that campaign, and we like to highlight some of the services that you can, as I say, expect or demand from a registered dental hygienist. Now, as you already mentioned in your introductory remarks, Gordon, there's a well-documented link between good oral health and good overall health, and I suspect that this is sometimes lost on people in the long-term care sector. I don't mean any disrespect when I say that because preventive health services are often a forgotten area across all of health care. And dental hygiene definitely falls into the category of preventive health services. We're about to mount a, a new poster campaign that stresses the importance of the link between oral health and overall health. Uh, the tagline for the campaign is, Your Mouth Tells Your Health Story. Uh, this is a truism no matter what sector you're considering, but as I've already said, it seems to be lost in the shuffle in healthcare, long-term care included. So we're hopeful that the poster campaign can, can be the start of some uh, rect- uh, start to rectify that problem. Right. Now, I'm pressing you really on the same question, but going into it in a slightly different way. I want to know about your work um, as a college and similar organizations in overcoming the challenges that arise within the healthcare and social services to improving dental hygiene services for long-term care. In other words, what are the sorts of things that um, the profession runs into um, or the organizations run into that want to employ a dental hygienist or use the services of a dental hygienist. Please tell us about how you're dealing with those challenges. Well, you're quite right. I I hope I don't repeat myself, but I'll I'll soldier on just the same. Uh, Again, I can only really speak at a system level and, and explain what I call some of my observations. And I'll go back to the four Ds of public policy again. It's clear to me that so-called underserviced sectors of care are finally starting to earn uh, the attention that they deserve. Um, and let me draw an example. The mental health world, for example, is finally being recognized as a legitimate form of illness. For far too long, we've allowed as a system um, offensive terminology to permeate the world of mental health. Um, you know, people say, oh, that guy's crazy, that guy's nuts, he's a whack job. And those kinds of things are, are offensive to anybody who's, who's struggling with mental health. And yet, it's been allowed uh, for many, many years. And I'm hopeful that we're finally going to see uh, an end of that kind of thing. Similarly, long-term care is going to require a new sort of renaissance of awareness or, or discovery, as I've uh, mentioned under the four Ds. The issues have been well known for many years. But it would appear that we're seeing the dawning of a new day. It might simply be a result of all the the baby boomers retiring and and me following in their footsteps. But I would suggest that it needed attention long before the prospect of waves of early retirement candidates uh, suddenly demanding care arrived. In any case, I do think it's quite predictable. And when that tide starts to turn, I'm hopeful that 
dental hygienists can begin to be a part of the solution uh, in long-term care. It's difficult to know what role the college will play in the overall evolution of this development, but I can assure you that the will is there from the college. Um, I've mentioned already the poster campaign. I've mentioned self-initiation, all those sorts of things. They're all intended to try and uh, instate the, the, the dental hygienist as a professional who's there to help in the long-term care sector. But there's a huge sort of culture shift that needs to, uh, needs to transpire before we can actually get to that level. Right. Now, I've done episodes on this show with dental hygienists who are providing dental hygiene services in the way that we're talking about. And they have their own dental hygiene prof- practices, that is to say they're running themselves as businesses of one form or another, in effect, vending their services to long-term care facilities and the like. Please tell me more about how in Ontario the services are actually delivered by dental hygienists to the long-term care facilities. That is the kind of organizational arrangements. Yeah, I'd have to suggest that you've caught me short on this one, Gordon. This is not an area of expertise for me. But what I can say is, uh, in general, is that it comes back to that sort of uh, culture shift that I've mentioned before. Um, more older uh, senior citizens going into long-term care with their teeth as opposed to not having teeth, needing oral health services and recognizing the link between oral health and overall health. That's the place where the dental hygienist can be helpful. I think I've made that pretty clear. Actually negotiating a place for them into that into that system of service delivery in a long-term care facility, that gets a little tricky. Um, it's, it's, as I say, um, the college, our responsibility is ensuring access, and that takes a variety of forms. How are we going to do it in long-term care? To, to be honest with you, I don't know. We're at the beginning of the, uh, the evolution of this long-term care uh, service delivery uh, uh, thing, and, and I just don't know yet how um, long-term care and certainly the college will, will play into that process. I can almost assure you, though, it's going to require some very careful discussion and, and, uh, and, uh, and discovery within the various groups. And I mentioned some of them before, you know, the, uh, the regulatory sector, the institutional sector, the insurance groups, the service providers, the professional associations, the, uh, uh, you know, the list can go on all day. They're all going to have something to say about this. And I think it's something that, you know, I don't just mean they don't have something to say, they're going to have an axe to grind, but rather they're going to have something important to contribute to the overall solution. How are we going to be part of that process yet? I, I don't know. Um, you've, you've caught me short on that one. <laughs> Perfectly fair. Let me just, you talked about um, ensuring a responsibility in your legislation that is to do with um, encouraging or ensuring appropriate access to dental hygiene care. Now, I'm assuming and this is just a very brief question, that that means and includes the idea of dental hygiene services going to long-term care facilities. That is being, this is a word I like, peripatetic. That is, they move around. They're not just operating, good though this is, out of a clinic. Is that right? That well, would... It would certainly be part of the discussion that we would like to have. Um, and... Um... You know, I've, I've, I've spoken to my, my council a number of times about um, different groups that, 
that uh, that are worthy of attention, and long-term care is another one, is one of those. But but there are other sectors where we have to be concerned about you know access to care. You know, the working poor is an example, or or new Canadians who've just arrived here. Uh, but you know, it's it's all these sorts of groups who who are not currently um, you know getting the access to care that you know regular boring Brad Sinclair gets um, as a as a matter of course and we have to be concerned as a college about access to that and so i would say absolutely long term care would be a group, would be a sector if you will within the overall um, uh, health service population who are worthy of some consideration and, and we definitely hope to make that case at some point i guess this is just a quick comment from me because uh, there isn't time for an answer but that is the sense of getting the message across that oral health, mouth health, the kind of health that dental hygienists seek to improve is actually very important. It's to the point of being fundamental as a clinical thing in healthcare. Now, that's my, if you like, uh, promo for dental hygiene. And probably it's just as well that I now have to go to the break, uh, which is what I'm going to do. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Brad Sinclair. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on VoiceAmericaKids.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, 
please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Brad Sinclair. Our topic is dental hygiene services for long-term care facilities. Now let's talk about the things you, Brad, would like to do through your work and see done to improve dental hygiene services in long-term care. Now, question one, what more would you like to do through the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario to improve dental hygiene services in long-term care? Brad? Yeah, if you feel mind, Gordon, I'd like to go back to see your last statement before the break and just highlight something briefly that, that you talked about, because I, I agree with you loud and clear. I think for many years we've, we've sort of seen dental services as part of a benefit package, and when it's part of a benefit package, to, you know, in your, in your place of employment, it's almost like a, a fringe benefit or, or a frill or something like that. And it really ought not to be seen that way. I mean, I would suggest to you that oral health is about as fundamental to people as, as any other kind of health. And yet, I think because we see it in the benefit package, we, we tend to sort of um, discount its importance. And, and I think that's got to stop. So that's the first thing I want to say. But what would I do? That's a, a good question you've asked. Uh, one area where I think there's plenty of room for improvement is in uh, interprofessional care. And, and by the way, I think that sentiment holds pretty much for the healthcare system at large. As a system, there's been some tremendous improvements in terms of interprofessional respect and recognition. Um, but notwithstanding those improvements, the, the so-called traditional hierarchy is still alive and well between some healthcare uh, professionals. Um, and if they could, if health professionals could unite their efforts in a system that's truly client or patient-centered, I think many of the system ailments that we now experience might be a little more manageable. Um, the other thing I've already mentioned is the change that I believe is coming in long-term care. That is that the clients arrive in that sector with much better oral health than their predecessors did. And this represents in some ways new ground, and the best way to deal with that new ground is with a new sense of client or patient-centeredness. What better place to start than long-term care as it embarks on a new evolutionary phase, you know, the systemic evolution, as it were. It's not difficult to imagine the long-term care sector would become a leader in this regard. And long-term care has plenty of experience. Ergo, I have to imagine it has plenty of life lessons to offer the health, search, the health sector. Maybe its time is finally coming. Um, I guess the other thing I'd like to do is, see, is to see more public education or more public discussion, as it were, about the, old, the whole oral health world. And if you go back again to my four Ds, it's the discovery part of the four Ds. Remember I talked about discovery, discussion, decision, delivery. It's that discovery side. Many of these issues around oral health have been around for many, many years. You know, if you go to northern Ontario and you're in a small town where there is no dental hygienist, well, there's a problem. Um, and so that's been going on for many, many years. But as I say, it hasn't really yet been discovered enough in the public policy world, enough so that people actually want to unite and do something about it. So public education about, um, you know, the plight of the uh, of, of folks in the oral health world, that's part of the solution, certainly part of the solution when it comes to long-term care as well. Now, what more would you like to see done by healthcare and social services to improve dental hygiene services in long-term care? Um, again, I'm, I'm going to run the risk of repeating myself, and I, I imagine there's a few people saying, who is this Pollyanna guy on the air here? That's all he talks about is making the world a better place. But 
um, again, I come back to this notion of of a uh, some kind of a of a public forum where we can begin to have these discussions um, and and start to uh, really sink our oh, I just did it again sink our teeth into these issues. I didn't mean to say that. It means where we can really start to have a meaningful and constructive discussion dialogue about things. But again, it needs to be done from the from the uh, the client centered approach rather than I don't want to have a, a forum where groups bring their their various axes and start grinding them against each other that that's not going to be helpful really the question is here are here is the uh, the uh, the consumer of the oral health services who needs help how are we going to provide that help i'd like to start at that place and let's figure out who's going to do what and how we're going to do it how we're going to organize things uh, most effectively um, will we get that form i, I don't know but I, i'd sure like to see it uh, uh, developed and and certainly I can tell you the College of Dental Hygienists of Ontario would be very welcome uh, would be very happy to be part of that process now I'm going to ask you for your message for family caregivers with family members in long-term care what is the message you're going to give them Brad well for family caregivers givers we are very serious when we say that your mouth tells your health story as the old saying goes, an ounce of profession is worth a pound of, of cure. An early detection of a wide range of health care issues by a dental hygienist is oral health's contribution to the ounce of prevention part of this adage. Um, I can certainly speak from my own experience when I know from family experience that oral health was never really a part of the health care regimen. There's plenty of work for everybody to do. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to get into a situation where people are saying, you can't do that, you can't do that, you're, I'm only allowed to do that, and you're not allowed to do that. And this goes for everybody, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying uh, that there's one profession who does that. All, all health professions are pretty good at saying, that's my work, you can't touch that. Um, and I'd like to think there's plenty of work for everyone to do. Let's find a more constructive way of sharing that workload around uh, the, 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 uh, the client who needs the care. The other message I would offer is that it's completely legitimate to demand high-quality professional service in the spirit of interprofessional care from a registered dental hygienist in Ontario. They're well-educated to deliver this care, and there's no reason why it cannot be delivered in the long-term care sector as well as everywhere else in the health care sector. I suppose what I'm talking about is, is a sense of respectful but accountable professionalism on both sides of the relationship. There's an old Jap- Japanese proverb that reads, none of us is smarter than all of us and none of us is stronger than all of us. I think that says it all. Everybody's got a role to play in this one, but it's only going to work if we actually gather together, as I say, in a sense of client-centeredness. And it's a piece of sort of background that we're all aware of is all that we hear about the aging population how the population is getting older, how the uh, conditions of health, like Alzheimer's disease, for example, are much feared in the future. And I think, therefore, the question of what we're doing about the aging population should include, and this is my opinion once more, Brad, what you're saying. That is to say, we, as a community, need to see oral health as a fundamental part of health care, especially, but not exclusively, in an aging population. Uh, so, just very quickly, do you agree with that or not? Just a no, quick answer. No, yes. a- absolutely, I do. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I have anything more to offer. Except The only thing I would say is that, yes, there's an aging population, but the population that's aging is generally healthier than it was 
you know, 40, 50 years ago. In other words, we've learned to take care of ourselves a whole lot better. And that's why, you know, we're living longer, we're living healthier, but that doesn't mean we aren't still going to need care. Eventually, you know, uh, people do need care, and, and that includes the oral health world. So it, it's absolutely a, f- a fundamental uh, service that people should be demanding. And as I say, it's easy to say, well, you know, my benefit plan doesn't cover it or something like that. I'm convinced that all the health professionals really want to deliver this care. They want to make, you know, uh, oral health services better for everybody around, and, uh, and that includes long-term care. How are we going to do that? Uh, I think we've talked enough about that already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, unfortunately, we've run out of time on this extremely interesting and important episode. So thank you, Brad. Uh, for sharing with us all your insights and and your advice. And what I'd like to suggest to you is that you, what you're doing, particularly in the raising of awareness of the importance of oral health care in the way that you've described it, uh, I just encourage you and if to continue that. And if this episode has been helpful to you in that way, then I'll be pleased that I've done a useful job for you. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Family Caregivers Creating Quality of Life Plans. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I-